We come this morning to perhaps the most famous chapter in all the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And what I want to ask you simply this morning is what is Psalm 23 to you? What does Psalm 23 mean to you? And I ask you that because if you were to go sample our society today, if you were to go up and talk to a person on the street, Psalm 23 would likely mean something to them. There are probably not many people in our society today who have never heard that psalm. It is perhaps the most well-known Bible chapter in our entire Bible. But if you were to ask them what it means to them, you would likely get some very different answers. Thank you, Ben. I say this, I remember I took a class in law school. And it's with a legal philosopher, a man named Bill Miller, brilliant man, very entertaining man. And he knew something about Psalm 23. He wasn't a believer. He was a somewhat secular Jew, as best I could tell. But he remember, I remember him talking in class, and he was giving this thought experiment. He said, I've wondered, he said, do people who are really amazing at what they do, do they know in the moment how good they are? Are they in some kind of zone where they just say, I, I know how, how good I am right now? And I can't remember all the examples he used, but you know, he may have said, you know, when Da Vinci was painting the Mona Lisa, did he know how good it was? And then he said, when the psalmist, when David was writing Psalm 23, did he know how in the zone he was? Did, was he just in the zone? Well, Psalm 23 to Bill Miller was an incredible piece of poetry. It was an incredible piece of writing that he said, this is amazing. And it's like that to many people. To some others, it's simply a kind of sentimental, nice thought. We say it at funerals. We read it to people who are struggling in the hospital, in the ICU, in the emergency room, to people who are going through a hard time. And it's just something to lay their head on like a pillow and allow them to sleep at night. What is Psalm 23 to you? The reason I ask is because I want us to look at it this morning through the lens of the person who wrote it. Before I ask, what is Psalm 23 to you? I want to ask this. What was Psalm 23 to David, the man who wrote it? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. What did it mean to the person who wrote it? What I want to suggest to you today is that this Psalm 23 to David was not only an explanation of his theology. What is theology? Theology is the study of God. Theos, God. It is the study of God. It was not only who David believed God to be in his theology. It was who he had experienced God to be in his testimony. 
And I want to ask you this morning, not only whether Psalm 23 is a true statement of your theology, but whether it is a true statement of your testimony that gives you a solid foundation to stand on in whatever life has for you this week and in the days to come. The title of the message this morning is simply this, David's Shepherd and Mine. David's Shepherd and Mine. And I want to look at this through this three different lenses today. First of all, as a statement of David's theology. Secondly, as a statement of David's testimony to us. And then finally, a statement of David's teaching for us to gain encouragement and to gain our own kind of foundation and confidence that David speaks here. First of all, David's theology. How is this psalm a statement of David's theology? Well, look with me at the very first verse, will you? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, how you understand that verse is how you will understand the rest of the psalm. Because everything that you need to know about the psalm is contained in those two phrases. If you understand what David means when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, everything else of this psalm falls, falls into place. So let's start there. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, I don't need to introduce to you that David knew what it was to be a shepherd because he had been a shepherd. That was his calling. That was his life as a young person. You may remember David growing up in a family, a multitude of boys. And where did David fall in the family line? The youngest, the baby of the family. Now, I don't know if this was true in your family. And I didn't experience it since I was the second oldest. But do you know what I mean when I say sometimes things run downhill in a family? Do you know what I mean? Things run downhill. The little ones are the ones who ultimately get the jobs that the big ones don't really want to necessarily do. Here, you can go do this. You'll get a sense of why David was the shepherd. He was the youngest. He was the one. A shepherd was not a glamorous job. A shepherd was not something that someone would give themselves to as a, uh, uh, a kind of profession that was to be necessarily aspired to. David was the youngest, and so he got to be the shepherd. In fact, you remember in the story of how Samuel came to Jesse's house, his father's house, to anoint the next king of Israel as, as Saul had walked away from the Lord. He went through every single one of them. They didn't even think to call David out of the field. He certainly couldn't be the one. The youngest, he's going to be God's king until Samuel says, is there one more? And then can't you just see Jesse? All right, so I, I see him and I see him and I'm here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh! David, where is he? Oh, he's out with the sheep. David knew what it was to be a shepherd. So what do you think it meant for him to say, the Lord is my shepherd? Why does he say the Lord? If you look in your, in your um, King James Version here in verse 1, the word Lord is in small caps. Do you know what that tells us? It's the word Yahweh in the Hebrew. It's Jehovah. What he is saying is, Jehovah is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. You say, well, why does this matter? 
you need to see the psalm that comes before it and the psalm that comes after it because really these psalms are almost like a set. They are a set in a messianic sense. These psalms are prophesying of Jesus Christ, as we will see later. Chapter 22, Psalm 22 begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who quoted that when he was on the cross? Jesus did. Jesus was meditating on Psalm 22. He knew it was applying to him. He knew it was about him. David was writing it about a thousand years before him. And yet, by the Spirit of God, he was speaking about Jesus, who would come a thousand years after him. Jesus was gaining comfort from this. But I want you to see, go back to chapter 22. And look with me at verse number 27. David writes this psalm and says, All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee, for the kingdom is the Lord's, Jehovah's. The kingdom, what does that make him? The king. He's saying the Lord, Jehovah, is king. And he is the governor. He is the ruler among the nations. Now go ahead to chapter 24. Skip ahead to see the context here. Chapter 24. Verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded upon the seas, and established it upon the floods. What's he saying? He's saying God is our creator. He made everything. The earth is Jehovah's. So Jehovah is king. Jehovah is creator. Jehovah is possessor. And now go on to verse number seven. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? And who does he answer? The Lord, Jehovah, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. What's the point? Who is Jehovah to David? The King, the Creator, the Possessor, and ultimately the one who will receive glory. He is the Lord. He is the King of glory. Everything is from him and to him. Now, what do you think that meant for David when he says, that Jehovah is my humble shepherd, is my servant leader. The king is my shepherd. The creator is my shepherd. The king of glory is my shepherd. What is he saying? Do you see why now it makes so much sense that he says, I shall not want the king is my shepherd. How could I possibly want? Now, don't get this mixed up. Sometimes we think of this word want, and then we connect it to the end of Psalm, which talks about him preparing a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, anointing my head with oil, my cup running over. And we say, surely what he means, he's talking about abundance. He's talking about prosperity. He's talking about a life of un alloyed blessing for me. And we say, that's what he means. I shall not want. I'm not going to want anything because I'm going to have everything. That's not what he means. 
And it's not what even that idea means. You would get to that idea here in verse 1 if you simply realized, I shall not lack. That's really the idea that's being communicated. This word want is a Hebrew word that has the idea of missing something, of lacking something. So what he's saying is, Jehovah, the king of the universe, is my servant leader, my shepherd, my caretaker. Therefore, how could I possibly lack anything? If I were serving a shepherd who was powerless... If I were serving a shepherd who did not have control over things, if I had a shepherd who was nothing more than like the little kid's blankie that they snuggle at night, it was just something that helped me sleep better, I could not say I shall not want, I shall not lack. But when it's Jehovah who is my shepherd, I cannot lack. How could I? He's my caretaker, and he is king and creator and overall. Now, you see, if you understand verse 1, you'll understand the rest of the psalm. That is David's theology. The Lord is my shepherd. Keep on going. I shall not lack. I shall not want. And now everything else where he goes next is showing what he's not going to lack, what he's not going to need as long as Jehovah is his shepherd. What is he going to need? What is he not going to need? Note, note in verse 2. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Now, if you're a sheep, what do you need? You need a place to pasture. Not only to pasture in terms of eating, but in terms of digestion. Shepherds will tell you that sheep don't lie down very easily unless they are ultimately free from danger and alarm even from things like flies. Just discomfort will not allow a sheep to lie down. So to David, the shepherd, he realized that God, because he was the shepherd king, who also was his caretaker, would lead him exactly to where he would have provision. Provision of pasture, provision of the water that he needed to supply his thirst. Not only that, notice what else he says. He restoreth my soul. This word restoreth means to bring back. He brings back my soul. And that's a wonderful picture because it could mean one of two things. It could mean that God brings back his soul when like a sheep he wanders astray. He backslides. He goes the wrong way. He goes off the path and God brings him back. He restores him. Or we could think of it maybe as we often do. The sheep is tired. The sheep is exhausted. He is feeling fatigued. He's feeling like he can't go on. And there is the shepherd, the king, who restores his soul, who brings him to strength, who gives him the energy he needs to go on. Either way is true, and either way is such a comfort. Not only that, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. He leadeth me. That's not just provision. That's not just a a, a caretaking. It's a plan for him. He's the one who's leading me. He's going out ahead of me in a path, and it's a path of righteousness. God's righteousness and my righteousness in growing in obedience to him. He's leading me on this path, but don't miss this. It is for his namesake. It is for his namesake, not my own. And we see this theology of God as a shepherd throughout the whole Bible, gathering out of the world a flock for himself, a people for himself, a group of sheep who is ultimately going to be to the praise of his glory because they are going to testify to his faithfulness and provision in every step of the way. 
That's the idea. It is for his sake that we are led in righteousness. And he goes on, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now notice the picture that he has here. This shepherd who's the king has a rod. Why do you have a rod? To fight off animals, to fight off bad guys. He said, that is comforting to me because that's the king who holds that, the creator who holds that rod. Nothing can get in to harm me if he's beside me. And it's his staff that comforts. What's the staff? The staff is the walking stick used to guide the sheep back into the way, not to let him stray too far out of the path, but to bring him back to the place where he should be. And so the rod of protection and the staff of guidance and direction along the way are comforts to him. And he sees this as being this great, great comfort. You see, this psalm is not meant to be sentimental. It's not meant to just be something to lay our heads down on night. It's intended to be logical. It's intended to be something that you fix your feet in and say, this makes sense. If you serve the God of all creation and the one who is the king in power over all and he has committed to you as your shepherd, how could you lack anything that you need? It's just logic. It's just simple biblical reasoning. And therefore, this gives him great hope. Look in verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. There are enemies, David says, around me. But you are busy preparing a table for me to dine. You anoint my head with oil. This idea of, of people being anointed in Bible times to be honored at a special meal. There's a feast, and here David is, God is anointing him with this refreshing oil, this oil that is good smelling. My cup runneth over, you're always filling up my cup at this table. I have fulfillment, I have joy, and this great hope. If God is my shepherd, he is my shepherd, and he is the king over everything, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. The idea is that they will pursue me. They will always be behind me. They will always be on my heels. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is his eternal hope that he ultimately would end up with God in the presence of God eternally. That's his theology right there, right in Psalm 23. But I want you to see that it is so much more than his theology. It is his testimony. And that's what I want to look at secondly here, David's testimony. When he testifies of God, he's speaking of him. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And I want you to just think for a moment here. How do you imagine David when he wrote this psalm? Is he a young man? Is he middle age? Is he elderly? I want you to just picture it for just a moment. Who is David when he's writing this? Is he sitting in a palace? Is, does he have a grandchild on his knee just testifying to him of the faithfulness of God? What is David? What is David doing right now in your imagination? And I ask you to do this because we should think about who David was to know why he was writing this psalm. 
It's easy for us to think about these first couple verses of God's provision. He's leading us into the green pastures. He's leading us by the still waters. He's restoring our soul. And then we get to the end and we say, oh, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And we think, wow, this guy's had a pretty good life. Oh, man, this guy, is he one of those guys that was born on third base and thought he hit a triple? Is this a guy who had a silver spoon in his mouth, a silver spoon of privilege? Everything comes easy to him. It's easy for us to say, oh, well, of course that guy's going to think that God's his shepherd. Of course that guy's going to think that he's been had some green pastures. But that's not like me. He didn't experience my life. Well, what kind of life did David have? Who was David's personal testimony? See, when we think about David's life, when we see how he experienced God's care, I wonder how challenged we'll be by our own testimony. Because think with me about David's life for just a moment. Someone who had grown up as the youngest in his family, the one who was pushed out to be a shepherd in the field, who wasn't invited in for dinner with the great prophet Samuel. The one who even when he went on to take on Goliath, his brothers were looking at him and saying, what are you doing? We know this is just the mischief of your heart. You just want to see the action. Why don't you get home and take care of those sheep some more? Certainly not respected even in his own family. When he is anointed king and he has this great, he has this great um, uh, victory over Goliath. What is Saul's reaction? One of jealousy, one of hatred, one of bitterness. Chasing him all over the countryside of Israel. Trying to kill him, trying to end his life. We see as he is running from Saul, we see people betraying him. Saying, hey, Saul, he's over here. Come get him. And David having to flee for his life. We see his wife, Saul's daughter, taken from him when he flees away and experiencing that family trauma. We see him facing family suffering in his life. You remember the story of the greatest sin, the greatest falling of his life, his adultery with Bathsheba, his leading to the murder of Uriah, one of his faithful soldiers. And then you see David absolutely prostrate on the ground as his son lays dying, crying out to God for mercy, and his precious baby dying as a result of his own sin, of his own conduct. This was a man who experienced deep loss, then you realize that his own son, Absalom, his own son rebelled against him. Not only rebelled against him, drew such a following of a civil war that David was forced to flee from his own son. His own son was tracking him down, trying to kill him, trying to take over his kingdom. And ultimately, that son, who he still loved, was killed. We see over and over fightings without, fears within, as Paul said. We see this man who suffered great loss, who had so many hills and so many valleys in his life. And you start to see, this is the one who could look back. I'm sure this is written by an, el- by an older man who had been through all of these things and yet could look back and say, the Lord is my shepherd, I- I'm not going to lack anything. And I want us to look for just a moment here at verse number four. Verse number four, because this is where I think we see David's confidence, his testimony rising up so profoundly. Verse four, look at it with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I want you to think about those words. 
It's a valley he's talking about. Not the mountains, not where the air is clear and the sun is shining and the birds are chirping. He's talking about a kind of physical uh, 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 depression. I don't mean an emotional sense. I mean a place that is filled, as he said, with a shadow. It's darkness. It is a place where you are exposed, where people have the high ground around you, your enemies, those who could shoot at you. You are exposed in this valley walking through. It's a shadow. A shadow is something that blocks out light and throws darkness. He sees a shadow in front of him of anxiety and fear. And it's a shadow of death. No, I don't think this necessarily means that this is something imminent, some certain death that he's going through. I think it means just this. Death is the reminder of our own mortality. Death is the reminder of our own powerlessness, our own lack of control. How many times have you been in a situation in life where you realized you were completely powerless? How did that feel? We hate being powerless. We hate being things, having things out of our control. When medical diagnoses come up and we say, I have, I have no ability over this. When something happens to one of our loved ones and we say, God, I'm powerless. It's fearful. It's anxiety inducing. And that's why David is saying here, he's going through this valley of a shadow that's in his way. It brings darkness and fear. It's the shadow of death. But notice what he says. I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Now again, stop for just a minute. Let's get the logic here. Immediately before verse four, he said, you lead me in paths of righteousness for your late namesake, right? You lead me. And now he says, and if I walk, why is he walking through the valley of the shadow of death? He's being led. He's not just being led. He's being on a led on a path of righteousness. Friend, do you look at the valley of the shadow of death in your life? Whatever is bringing you anxiety and fear, whatever today is reminding you of your own mortality and your own ultimate weakness in the face of the forces you are confronting, do you recognize that it's a path of righteousness that God is leading you on? Why could David said, I will fear no evil? He said, for you are with me. How do I know you're with me? Because you led me here. I didn't come here. You led me here. You led me here on this path of righteousness for your namesake. Now, friends, I want to personalize this to David. Imagine when David was fleeing from Saul, literally for his life, at death's door every single day. And now he looks back and said, God, You were leading me on that path of righteousness, even when I was running from someone who was trying to do evil to me. When Absalom, his son, was rebelling against him and trying to kill him, David could say, that was a path of righteousness that I was on, and you were with me the whole way, even when I was running for my life, fearful and ultimately grieving over what my son was doing to me. What about when my infant son was laying dead and was laying on death's door and ultimately dying, I can say, God, it was a path of righteousness that you brought me on. Do you see why David says, I I will fear no evil? 
Because if the shepherd is the king who is the creator and the ultimate possessor of all things and he led me here and he has a rod to ward off those who would harm me and he has a staff to make sure he guides me back into the way, how can I think there's any evil that could befall me? Why would he allow any evil to befall me? You see, this is the same logic that Paul uses in Romans 8 when he said, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. He said, if God be for us, who can be against us? You see, have any one of you, if I said, today you will have a knife that is cutting into your flesh and cutting away your flesh, you would say, that sounds evil, that sounds horrible, that sounds bad. And yet if I were to tell you is the hands of a surgeon removing a cancerous tumor, you'd say that doesn't sound so bad anymore. That sounds good. And so it is. When David says, when I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, when I have gone through the valley of the shadow of death, I've realized it's your path of righteousness that I need fear no evil. Oh, David experienced evil at the hands of many people. But he said, there's ultimately no evil in it if my shepherd is right next to me with a rod and a staff to comfort me. Is that the way that you and I look through at those times when we're so powerless, when we feel so abandoned, when we feel at fear and anxiety? Are we able to say, I will fear no evil because my shepherd, who is the king, who is the sovereign, who is the creator, is beside me, leading me the whole way? That was David's testimony. And therefore, he knew that nothing evil ultimately could befall him. David's theology led into his life, into this great testimony. And ultimately and finally, I want to encourage us in David's teaching for us. David's teaching for us. What does this mean for you and for me? I come back to the question, what is Psalm 23 to you? Is this your theology? Do you believe in a God who is a shepherd? A king who is a shepherd? A creator who is a shepherd? And is he yours? How did David know that God was his shepherd? How could he say so confidently, the Lord is my shepherd? Well, David undoubtedly knew God's history. In fact, when you go back into Deuteronomy, you see on at least two occasions God telling his people, I led you these 40 years through the wilderness. I led you. God already was testifying to his people Israel that he was a shepherd. In Psalm 80, the psalmist says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubim, shine forth. In Psalm 100, the psalmist says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. How did David know God was his shepherd? Because he knew that God had chosen his people. He knew that as the ancestor of Abraham, he was in God's providential plan. He had been chosen by him. He had been anointed by him. He had been selected. And he had seen God's hand bring him through all of these things. He could say with complete confidence, the Lord is my shepherd. And friend, what about you? Can you know that God is your shepherd? The Bible says you can. 
because a thousand years after David lived or so, there was one who came to earth to be your shepherd. Not a shepherd in a sense of a God who is distant, but a shepherd who came as a man to live and experience who you are and what you've been through. I want you to listen to these words from our New Testament, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews 13 and verse 20, speaking to Jewish people who had, who had come out of Judaism to follow Jesus Christ as Savior. He refers to our Lord Jesus as that great shepherd of the sheep. First Peter 2 refers to, says as of us, for ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls, the shepherd of your souls. And will you turn over with me from Psalm 23 to John 10 for just one moment as we close. John chapter 10. Jesus is speaking in this chapter. And he says in verse number seven of John chapter 10, Jesus said unto them again, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. The sheepfold. He's the door at the sheepfold. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, enter in at that door that is Jesus, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. They will be led to their provision. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Do you see that? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. You see that? When Jesus Christ came to give of his life for us, he was the one who walked through the valley of the shadow of death for us. He took the sting out of all the evil that Satan could throw against him, against a hostile world. He took the sting when he died on the cross and he died on the cross for you and for me. Why can Paul say so confidently, death, where is your sting? Because Jesus took the sting when he died willingly and voluntarily for your sin and mine and was raised. Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? As he says, thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in verse number 27 here of John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. That's speaking of the savior as shepherd, as king, as sovereign, as Lord. Now let me ask you this morning, friend, have you entered the door, the door of Jesus Christ? Have you recognized that he is the only one who can give you life and give you life more abundantly? Have you gone in? Have you accepted and received him as your only hope in this life and the next? Are you trusting on him? 
If you are, we have the assurance, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. The Lord is my shepherd. Is that your hope? Is that your assurance? Is that your confidence? Is Psalm 23 your psalm of testimony this morning? But not only that, I want to just point you to one more thing. There's something that's absolutely beautiful about Psalm 23. And if you look with me here in verse 2, I want you to notice that for the first couple verses of this psalm, David is speaking about God. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's talking about God. He's testifying about him in his theology and about his experience. But I want you to notice something in verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for what? For thou art with me. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Do you see what happens? David moves from talking about God to talking to him. Do you know all of us need that when we're going through the valley of the shadow of death? We need that intimacy. We need that closeness. Just this, this last night, I woke up early, I think, this morning, and a little girl was waking me up. And she said, Daddy, I'm scared. I had a, I had a nightmare. I had a bad dream. She wasn't telling me that because she just wanted to pass some information along. What did she want? She wanted to get into bed and snuggle with me for a little bit. She wanted to know that daddy was with her and that he'd take care of her. And we just lay there for just a minute and then we got up and we went back to her bed. She got back into bed totally fine. Do you see the difference between talking about God and talking to him? You are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. What I want to encourage you this morning is whatever valley of the shadow of death you're walking through right now, whatever valley of the shadow of death you will walk through this week or in the days to come, I want to encourage you to take your testimony about what you've known to be true about God and turn it into worship. Turn it into speaking to God and experiencing his presence for you are with me. Will you do that? What is Psalm 23 to you? I hope it's not just something sentimental. I hope it's not just a good piece of poetry. I hope it's even not just a good piece of theology. I hope for you it is a, your testimony from what you have experienced, your hope for what you will experience in, in the future, and your worship your prayer for what you are experiencing in the present. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in Jesus Christ, you are our shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And oh, I pray, Father, there are many 
in our body who need to know that you are their shepherd right now. They need to know that you are with them. They need to know that they need not fear. May you apply this to each one of our hearts today. Let's pause for a moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. What does Psalm 23 mean to you? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Father, on that truth, this whole psalm rests. And I pray that not one would leave here this morning without knowing that in Jesus Christ, he is the good shepherd and he is their shepherd. May you do that work, we pray. Lead us along as you desire in the paths of righteousness for your namesake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.